G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Coming up next is Focus on the Family. Hi, I'm Brett Ryan, CEO of Focus on the Family Australia. If you'd like a copy of today's broadcast or associated resources, visit families.org.au or call us on 1300 300 361. I hear her say to me, you don't know where you're going, do you? (laughs) I cannot tell you how instantly angry I was. I spat around. I said to her, and I gave her a real surf, really unloaded on her. And then turned around, walked along the fence again, immediately feeling as stupid. You rude man, what was that all about? Careforce Life Keys was founded by Dr. Alan and Helen Meyer, and they are good friends to focus on the family in Australia. Their facilitator training programs are used all around Australia and around the world. They have dedicated their lives to restore people from their brokenness. On today's Focus on the Family Australia, we'll once again be talking to Alan and Helen on how they have helped hundreds of hurting people around the world. That's Alan and Helen Meyer, our guests on today's Focus on the Family Australia, with my wife Kate and myself, Brett Ryan. Alan and Helen Meyer are no strangers and they're good friends of Focus on the Family, so welcome back to the program. Thanks very much. It's great to be here. We're going to be talking about marriage today, so over to Kate to ask the first question. Guys, I was just wondering how long you've actually been married. Well, uh, 49 years this year and 50 next year. We met each other at high school. Wow. It's a long time, isn't it? (laughs) It is, isn't it? When I think the average length of marriage these days is 12. Yeah. You've uh, done a few 12s. You have done a few 12s. (laughs) It's very exciting. But just wondering if you've actually got some keys for a successful marriage and what you think the most important ones are. Well, to me, one of the most significant things about marriages that last is that they last because you decide they're going to. And I need to say, in saying that, oh, it sounds like his marriage is an endurance contest. No, (laughs) no, it's not. But I simply am aware of the fact that one of the reasons that marriages fail is because people just don't make what you could call a covenant kind of commitment. And a covenant kind of commitment is where you just put everything else on the altar and say, I'd be willing to die for this. Now, I met Helen in high school. And uh, it wasn't until the end of first year university that we kind of connected and began to go out. And by the way, let me say this. Because I grew up in a home where my father loved my mother, I think all my life I was um, looking for someone to marry. I wasn't looking for a girlfriend. I wasn't looking for a fling. I was asking the question with every girl that I felt attracted to. And in the year that I started taking her out, I think I fell in love uh, eight times. <laughs> Some of those lasted as long as four days. But Sounds very fickle. <laughs> we've got this cry for intimacy within, and I was looking for someone with whom I could build a nest. Uh, within seven days of beginning to take Helen out, I said to myself, I could build a life with this person. And there were a lot of reasons for that. Firstly, she's beautiful. I always wanted to marry a beautiful girl. Secondly, we share faith. Thirdly, 
we have a shared sense of what we want to do with our lives. We both want to be teachers. There was so much about our lives that made sense. And I, I said, I could build a life with a person like this. And I'll tell you why I've loved Helen for 50 years. And that is because I decided to. I just decided to. And in deciding to, you then, in that commitment, find so much that is worth committing to. And for me, there's no question that we've never once, not once have we ever considered divorce. Murder has been considered more than once, (laughs) but never divorce. And for a number of reasons. Firstly, I decided that I would love her. And I told her on our wedding day that forsaking all others, I would cleave only unto her for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, till death us do part. And that little girl trusted me. She trusted me enough to uh, not only become my bride and become my wife, then she became the mother of my children. She has given me the best years of her youth. She brought children into this world. And the more I've known her, the more I realise she had a very hard and unpleasant childhood, very difficult. Some good things about it, but lots of pain. And I just made a decision. I will not add to that. I will be your protector. Uh, You can have as many pairs of shoes as you want. You can have as many handbags as you want. (laughs) He's a good learner. (laughs) I will never break your heart. Now, why didn't I break her heart? Because I just decided not to. And at the moment that I have come into those precarious moments where silly ideas emerge and, and unhelpful attractions emerge, I just decided I am not going to go down that pathway. And so I haven't. Mm. So one of the other things I think that's a key to a long-lasting relationship is communication. Alan and I are both fairly strong people. You've got two leaders living in the one house, which means that there's a fair bit of negotiating needs to be done. And so learning to communicate in ways that the other person could actually hear what you're saying, you know, that you don't communicate in a way that they're automatically in defensive mode and and not willing to listen. So that's been one of the keys for us is learning to communicate in a way that's healthy. And I would say, again, part of what Helen has just been talking about has been a decision too Mm. because there's no question that we have conflict all the time. We have conflict for lots of reasons. Uh, She has a brain that works differently than mine. She has a personality that's different than mine. She's a female, I'm a male. There's lots of opportunities for us to see life differently, express our thoughts and ideas differently, and then for the other person to say, oh, that's wrong because it's not what I think, it's not what I see, and that's stupid because it's not not what I think and it's not what I see. And that idea of difference being wrong and stupid uh, simply become entrenched positions based on deifying yourself and minimising another human life. Mm. And we've just made a decision. We're not going to do that. Mm. Uh, We've made a decision that we're going to learn how to listen to each other. And it's not always been easy. Mm. Well, can Um, you share a little bit when it wasn't so easy? I mean, you've got 49 years of stories, I should imagine, when the communication wasn't as clear. Because I came from a family where I never saw a role model of a married couple working because my mother had died when I was really young. My father was a functional alcoholic. And then he remarried years later. That was a very challenging marriage, I never actually saw how a married couple actually could communicate in a healthy way. Mm. Um, And also because I often didn't read what was going on in myself emotionally, so it was part of growing that I needed to do and healing I needed to be able to flag what's happening, what am I thinking, what am I feeling, and not waiting until it's sort of reached kind of blowing point 
to be able to express that, learning to speak in a way that actually I can say, this is how I'm feeling, this is how you're reacting to me, and I need to talk about this in a calm way. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the whole thing about starting harshly automatically puts the other person on the back foot and they don't want to listen to you. Um, from my perspective, let me, let me tell you a story. Men don't, um, don't Some men. read maps. Why don't men read maps? Because in a man's gut, there is a sense that real men solve problems. I don't need you to solve the problem for me. Give me a chance and I'll sort it out. And yet we don't realise how much we have developed on the inside assumptions about what it means to be a male. Now, Helen and I were on holiday one day and I said to her, let's go shopping. And I was going to take her on an unknown route down along the beach to a shopping centre. And so I head off. Uh, thinking I'm doing a really good thing because I'm taking her shopping. I mean, how good is that? I'm, I have, I'm He's a martyr too. <laughs> so we're walking along a beach, and as we walk along the beach, we come to a fence that stretches right through a resort across the sand and into the sea. Now, I see the fence as I'm coming up, and I look, and I say, okay, well, if I turn left, that's the ocean. That's not going to help. So I'll turn right, and I'll find my way out. As I'm walking along the fence, Helen is right behind me, I hear her say to me, you don't know where you're going, do you? <laughs> I cannot tell you how instantly angry I was. I spat around. I said, and I gave her a real surf, really unloaded on her, and then turned around and walked along the fence again, immediately feeling as stupid. You rude man, what was that all about? And um, just ashamed of myself. Now she's smart. She doesn't say another word. So we, we walk along now, we get to the shopping centre, and we separate. For the next two hours, I walked around saying to myself, what on earth was that outburst of anger about? And because I had been in the company of a counselling psychologist the week before, I allowed some of what he said to kind of inform my struggle. And I started to ask myself, what did you feel? I felt flippin' angry. Why did you feel angry about that question? You don't know where you're going, do you? Well, I didn't hear a question. I heard a statement. When she said, you don't know where you're going, do you? I heard her say, you idiot, you've got us lost again. And I felt like I was being accused. Now, it's a reasonable question. But when I heard the question, my response was to interpret it as an accusation. And when we met up about two hours later, I said to her, firstly, let me say sorry. I was rude and I'm sorry, I shouldn't. I was rude and and, and ugly. But I think I've got something to say. When you said you don't know where you're going, I thought you were calling me an idiot. And, you know, this happens a fair bit in our relationship, that you may make a statement or a ask a question, and from your side, it's a really reasonable question. From my side, it feels like I'm being criticised mm. or I'm being attacked. And that's where a lot of our arguments come from, because we're very different people. And Helen said to me, well, then how can I ask those questions in a way that doesn't upset you? And I said to her, that's not your issue, because that's not possible. You can only be who you are. I make a decision that from this day on, I'm going to understand better that some of my reactions, many of my reactions, is because my man box on the inside feels like I'm being attacked. So instead of reacting out of this, we're going to talk more, and I'm going to suspect that Mm. a lot of my angry responses are simply my personal reaction to what was a very appropriate mm. question. So I said to her, it's not your issue, this is my issue. I simply have to respond differently to the kind of questions you ask. 
Which it leads really well to the, a third way that I understand. I remember using the words an issue of repair, how you restore mm. when there has been those words or those actions that you're not so proud of. Yeah, and I think what Alan's just talked about there was an example of repair, that he came back, apologised, and that I also asked him what would be a better way for me to say that. And so that's one example of repair. Another way repair could happen is you come in, you start kind of harshly in, in what you're communicating and you back off and say, look, I'm really sorry. Let me say this a different way. And so that's repair. And one of the things you realise is that a successful marriage isn't about people that never argue. It's not about people who never have differences. It's about how good are you at actually repairing those moments when things don't that's go good. well. Our guests today are Dr. Alan and Helen Meyer, with my wife Kate and myself, Brett Ryan. We'll have more when we return right here on Focus on the Family, Australia. The Word for Today is Australia's most widely read daily devotional, designed to give you practical teaching to keep you focused on your relationship with Jesus. Read it online or subscribe to the free printed edition at thewordfortoday.com.au. Focus on the Family Australia is a donor-supported ministry. When you commit to donating on a regular basis, you allow us to syndicate this broadcast and our family minutes across the country. You also allow us to expand our ministry by developing more resources and content so that we can continue to strengthen more Australian families and relationships. So if you listen regularly but have never considered being a monthly supporter, could I ask you to think about it? And if you can, support the ministry here at Focus on the Family Australia to touch more lives. Go to families.org.au. Welcome back to Focus on the Family Australia, where today my wife Kate and myself, Brett Ryan, are talking with Dr. Alan and Helen Meyer. You will have differences. You will sometimes say things the wrong way. And I think one of the other things that's really important in in a good marriage is humour. Just laugh at yourself. We often do do that. We'll often, after we've argued, we might have had a little outburst of getting stuck into each other and two minutes later we come back and we just laugh. We say, we we are so (laughs) weird. I mean, and it repairs. It's it's a repair Mm. because we're saying... Without saying, look, I'm sorry, and that was ridiculous, but I'm just human and I love you anyway. With regards to repair, look, I think it's a vital thing to say. I found this very helpful, that when you marry someone, you purchase a bag full of irresolvable problems. Mm. And one of the reasons marriages fail is because people give up and they say, I've been trying to fix this person now for 20 years and I'm not getting there, so I'm giving up. Now, Helen and I have come to the conclusion that our problems are irresolvable. They flow from not meanness or ugliness. They flow from difference. And the things we fight about (laughs) all the time are the same things. They're not different things. They're the same things. She has a personality. Uh, Let me tell you something about her personality. Oh, how about I tell about my personality? (laughs) You'll have have your say. Okay, the right of reply. I'm I'm going to tell everybody. She's a leader, so she keeps on noticing things. Now, I'm a a person who likes to kind of take my own time about doing stuff and make it up for myself. And I'd be honest, I I find it constantly irritating that she sees things and says, turn left here. Well, I knew that. I knew I was going to turn left here. Now, that's never going to change. Look, for her to stop that, she would have to stop being the leader that she is. She notices stuff. And as a consequence, she's always feeding into her environment helpful insights. 
I don't always find them helpful because I already knew that. And so now I'm irritated because it's like you're saying, you told me to turn, you think I'm an idiot. Did you think I didn't know? And but I'm so, a teacher too. Th- it's not going to go away. So I just have to recognise part of the package of loving this woman is that there's a bunch of stuff she'll never change and neither will I. Mm. But it just doesn't matter that much. No, it doesn't. And recognising that too. Because the difference for us too is I like to be somewhere either on time or early. Alan always thinks he can fit three more things in the last five minutes before he has to leave. And sometimes And so this is where we have a clash. And to realise that this is never going to change. It's his personality. It's my personality. And so this is where a lot of people do get unstuck. Yeah. And we've learned to recognise that some of this does just need to be negotiated over and over Mm. and over again. And research has actually shown that you can have one set of irresolvable issues with a couple, but if they change partners, you just get another set of irresolvable issues. It's Mm. not that things are going to change in terms of having disagreements, having differences and so on. So the best thing is to learn to stay where you are and negotiate around those. It's actually great fun in the end. We're growing and learning all the time, even after all these years of marriage. We're growing and we're learning about how to do life better. Exactly. And our irresolvable differences are actually a source of considerable mirth. I mean, we often (laughs) find ourselves laughing at ourselves and each other because, I mean, will this ever end? And the answer is no, (laughs) because Helen is who she is and Alan is who he is. And that doesn't mean doggedly persisting in destructive behaviour. And it's not destructive behaviour. It's just helpful behaviour that isn't appreciated. (laughs) And it's one's trying one best. It's just not appreciated. Laugh about it and repair. And the most important thing is constantly reflecting to one another you matter to me so much that this just doesn't matter. You matter to me so much that this is simply not going to be, for us, a damaging part of our relationship. Yeah. I refuse to let it be. And one of the things that's helpful too is if things do get a bit heated, to take a time out, to move away, go out, do something different and don't even think about <coughs> the issue. Sure. Come back together and then talk, talk about, about it when you're both not feeling so, <laughs> I guess, heated about it. Mm. Does that, that always work for helps. us, Kate? No. <laughs> no, we have to. I'd need to go away and have a walk or something yeah. around our local lake just so that words that can't be retrieved are not said. Well, yeah. That's really um, but I want to fix it. I want to fix the problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's important that we don't walk away in anger. I think it's important that we go, you know what, this is not going to be resolved now. I'll be back, but I need my space. Yeah, to and work that's this exactly through. what I'm talking because about. Because it, it does give yeah. you, it allows you to work out what part you really need to own. Mm. But in the heat of the moment, you always think it's the other person's fault. Yeah. Mm. But when you've got a few moments alone, you get to think about what is yours yeah. and what is theirs and deal with the bit that you're responsible for. Yeah. So these keys so far, we've got shared values and goals. We've got good communication. We've got the ability to resolve and repair issues quickly and expediently. I remember hearing some time ago this idea of commitment slash covenant in marriage. Could you unpack that a little bit more for us? In modern society, we don't really understand covenant so well, and this is where Bible stories become really helpful. The way we view covenant today is we feel like everything's got to be negotiated. I'll give my 50%, you give your 50%. And in some relationships, that's important. If you're going to sell a car, then you have to negotiate and you've got to give and there's got to be a little give and take. But there are some relationships where if that's the foundation, it's not going to last. Mm. There has to be a total commitment, an unreserved commitment. 
in the earliest parts of the Bible, there's a story about Abraham. God says to Abraham, let's have a covenant. Uh, He said, we're going to make a covenant together. He said, I want you to go get some animals and cut them in half and separate the body parts. Now, if you do that, there's blood all over the floor. That was the first step in ancient times of making a covenant. It was the shedding of blood. It was called cutting a covenant. And what it really meant was this relationship is so important that we're going to have to put some things to death in order for this relationship to flourish. So, for example, with Helen and I, um, one of the things I said, forsaking all others. All the alternatives to female company go on the, on the altar. They are sacrificed. I have to put the knife to that. I have to put that to death. My own will, my own way, just doing things my way. Because if we're going to enter into a covenant, my way may have to be hugely altered or even completely abandoned. And it's not losing yourself. It's recognising that some relationships are so important that key issues just have to be laid to one side and say, that's the end of how I used to do life. The second thing was then what they called the binding. Um, The parties to a covenant would walk down the bloody pathway between those animals that had given up their life and bloods all over the floor, they walk between the pieces and really saying, you know, this ought to be done to us if we don't keep the words we're about to utter. And there, having walked through that pathway, they would make promises to one another. Now, we live in an age where everybody seems to lie and seems to feel like it's normal. In that environment, nobody's safe. Is it possible for a man to say to a woman, forsaking all others and cleaving only unto you, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, and actually believe that ought to bind him? Mm. Well, that's what's part of a covenant, is a binding. Now, having bound themselves by the words they say, the third part of the covenant was then the eating. So you had the cutting, the binding, and then the eating. And they would take the animals, and they would barbecue the animals and sit down and have a great feast, because now... Through this commitment, we now have an experience of life. You just can't have any other way. Now, one of the big problems of moving in and living together before you get married is that what you're really saying is, I'm not committing myself to you. I want to run to the other end of covenant. I want to try out the eating before there's any dying and before there's any commitment involved. The try before you buy mentality. The try before you buy. Um, We're going to go to the eating end. We're going to have sex, we're going to hang out with each other, we're going to make a house and so on, and see if it works. Now, if it doesn't work, I've taken years of your life. I may have left indelible marks on your soul. I may have changed your opportunities for life, but bad luck, you know. All the best. Hope it goes well for you. The difference with Covenant is that I see this little girl that's now my wife as her life is so valuable, I don't get to play with it like that. Mm. I don't get to see if I'm prepared to make a commitment. Well, if you haven't figured that out yet, take a backward step. Leave that person alone or develop a friendship. Do some significant courtship. Discover what's in their personality and in the character. Discover whether you could commit to it. But before you start to change another person's destiny, do that investigation and then make a choice. Make a choice that you're willing to lay stuff down. You're willing to die for this. Then have the kind of character where you can make promises that you actually keep, that you have the character to keep your word. Mm. And out of that, you build a marriage. There's this fallacious view that somehow marriages are built on ecstasy. Ecstasy is a byproduct. It's not the fabric of a marriage. The fabric of the marriage is commitment and character and the value, the high value 
I ascribe to you, your destiny, your humanity, your personhood. And out of ascribing that value to you, I sacrifice all these other alternatives in order to build something. Mm, and out of that, so good. you'll have your moments of ecstasy, but you'll also have your package of irresolvable problems. <laughs> and it's if so you good. start at the right end, that doesn't stop the privilege of building an amazing relationship. Unfortunately, we're running out of time, but we've got room for one more. What would be one other key that you'd have and recommend for couples who are listening to this to actually help and strengthen their marriage? The best grass does not grow on the other side of the fence. The greenest grass grows where you water it the most. So give it the time and value it in a way that it deserves. And you can actually discover contentment in this life. That is so good. Alan and Helen Meyer, thank you so much for sharing those words of wisdom. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, and it's been great to be with you. Our guests today are Dr. Alan and Helen Meyer. If you'd like to find out more regarding their courses and programs, go to careforcelifekeys.org. That is careforcelifekeys.org. Well, we trust you've been encouraged by what you've heard on today's Focus on the Family Australia. For more family advice or to listen again online, our website is families.org.au. And if you'd like to order a copy of today's program, you can give us a call on 1300 300 361. That's 1300 300 361. On behalf of the team here at Focus, I'm Brett Ryan, wishing you God's blessing on your family and inviting you to join us again next time for another edition of Focus on the Family Australia. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.